Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. Welcome to Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Welcome to a Monday edition of Franchise Players. We are at the beginning of a, a three-week three-week sprint to the state championships here in North Carolina. The uh, NCHSAA announced the state playoff pairings for high school football, and we are your home for Triad Sports here at Tobacco Road. Uh, with me today, I've got J.P. Mundy from the Winston-Salem Journal and the Greensboro News and Record, and Jay Spivey from the Clemens Courier. All this week, we are loaded with uh, analysis, previews, and more. Leading up to Friday, our big uh, simulcast, we will be having East Forsyth on the road taking on one seed Grimsley in the 4A uh, opening round state playoffs at 7 p.m. And then also we'll have Glenn taking on Butler out of Matthews. That's going to be a huge game. Ryan Stone will have that call uh, also at 7 p.m. on Friday. So two of the huge, two of the biggest games in the Triad we will have here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio uh, for you like we have had all season long. Uh, guys, as I bring in the panel here, I wanted to go back to Friday first. Well, really, let's go back further now. Let's go back to Thursday. Um of course, we are home of West Forsyth football as well. And Jay, you were out at uh, Davie County's beautiful football field out there uh, near Moxville, right off of 40, to watch West Forsyth take on Davie County. And uh, I kind of want you to kind of go through that last sequence there because West Forsyth uh, missed the state playoffs um, due to them just basically not playing enough games uh, to qualify. And this game would have pushed them over the, the hurdle in terms of being able to get in. Uh, set the scene for me. So, back actually, Davey jumped on them early, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were up 21 yeah, 0. Yeah. And then West fought back. Uh, game went back and forth. Fourth quarter ended in a tie, and we go into overtime. What what exactly uh, happened from that point forward that ended up causing Davey to, to go away with the win? Well, I'm actually going to go back to about midway through the fourth quarter when West decided to come back and take the lead. And they actually intercepted the ball and ran it back about 15 or 20 yards and a referee called an inter interference on it. And, you know, from my perspective and just about everybody else's in the press box, including a referee who was sitting up there, they all thought that was a bad call. And it really changed the momentum of the game. I mean, mm -hmm. it, gave Davey the, it gave Davey the ball back and they ended up scoring on that drive. And so they tied the game and uh, uh, they ended up going to overtime. Neither team could mount anything the rest of the fourth quarter and they ended up going to overtime. And, uh, they, uh, I guess I guess Davey won the toss, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's what happened. And West Forsyth got the ball scored on the first play from scrimmage. And so they're up seven uh, after the extra point. Davey scores on, I believe it was th either third or fourth down, if I remember correctly. And so they cut it to two. I mean, yeah, cut it to one. And Coach Tim Derricks from Davey calls a timeout and decides to go for two. They roll I'll, out. I'll, wait, stop right there because I was listening to this. I was listening to the call. Uh, from Ryan uh, during this and in my head I'm driving back and I'm thinking 
they're going to go for two because they have nothing to lose. Was that the feeling right. in the in the box up there? Because you exactly, were on the baby that's box. Exa- that's exactly what it, what, what it was. I think he, from what it, I, sp- I spoke to him after the game, he said, I was going to go for it. And I almost got talked out of it. And then when I called timeout, I decided to go for it. And obviously it turned out to be the right call because they ended up getting it and they won the game. And, they, and like you said earlier, because – West lost the East Forsyth and Glenn games because of COVID. Uh, they just didn't have enough games. So, you know, they go strictly by a conference winning percentage. So they end up with a 667 winning percentage. And had they, like, everything was kind of in their hands Thursday night. Had they won, they would have won the conference because Glenn ended up beating East. So they would have mm-hmm. won the conference outright. They wouldn't have won the conference outright. Yeah. And so they went from being conference champions to being out totally because of, they just didn't play enough games and then and they lost in overtime to Davey. And we'll, uh, I'll, uh, we'll see, uh, Coach Snow. Um, the season finale of Titans Talk will be, uh, tonight, uh, live at 7 30 for Mossy's Eats, L and Spirits and Clemens. So we'll get a chance to him, uh, hosted by Brandon Blakeney. We'll get a chance to talk to him and see, uh, you know, what that's been like, uh, you know, having a team that's like right there. You fought, you fought all the way back, you get to overtime, and then, you know, one of your conference rivals decides, hey, if we can't go to the party, you're not going to the party either. And, that that was just I just felt like they were going to go for two and get it because it would just be storybook with the way West Forsyth's yeah, uh, season has know, been. Uh, and I know the game ended a little differently, but you know they, they when they played Reagan last week, the same, basically the same thing happened. And West won on West literally won the second on the first play of the second overtime because Reagan had taken the ball and scored on the first overtime on a on a field goal, and so Reagan was up by three. And then West got the ball, scored on the first play for the scrimmage, and won the game by three. So I mean, they kind of they kind of live by overtime and die by the overtime, so to speak. Yeah, and and, and I'm, I'm sure Devericks knew. I'm sure Devericks knew that um, the Snow's got a couple of uh, really good go-to overtime plays, as Jay was alluding to the Reagan game. They scored two touchdowns in in those overtimes, and it was the same play. And, and it's just, it was just a really yeah, they effective. Didn't, they didn't get touched. Hmm. Yeah, so there's no need for them, and and when they've got the momentum of Deverick's autumn, you know, even if they hadn't have, even if the conversion had been no good, it was still the right call to go for two because you don't want to play with snow for that long. Right. Yeah. Well, the other I thing is, agree. the other thing is, West Forsyth has two phenomenal running backs, Javante Long and Nacion Johnson, mm-hmm. and they're. I mean, there are not many offensive lines in the state, probably as big as West Forsyth. I mean, their offensive line is huge. So, yeah. I mean, kind of, kind of go with what got you there, and that's exactly what Snow did. And you know, unfortunately, you know, you know, Davey got the ball last in overtime uh, and, and scored and got the two point conversion, and won the game on one point. So, so that started our weekend uh, in high school football here in the Triad, and then Friday came around, and the teams that elected to not move their games to Thursday, it still rained on Thursday, by the way, but Friday uh, looked like they were prophetic because we ended up, we were in uh, K-Vegas for the K-Vegas Cup, Kearns, uh, East Forsyth versus Glenn, uh, and there was a two-hour weather delay. <laughs> Literally, I, I just, it was actually oh. longer than that. It was longer than that. Hours? I thought we started back around 9.30 or so. It was two, no, they started about – it was uh, it about 10? 10, it was 10.15 when they started. Oh, it was about right. Oh, two, my gosh. <laughs> two, hour, two hours and 37-minute rain delay. And, you know – lightning delay. So, we're, so I wanted to – because Jay's sitting in the box. JP's running around on the sidelines. Me and Rod are calling the game. And, uh, you know, we had that long stretch where – after the first quarter, Glenn's up 14-0. And East looks like a mess. I'm not going to lie. They just look completely out of it. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the ball, all three phases, really. It just seemed like – it almost felt like – and I mentioned this to Rod. It almost looked like East Forsyth had been told before the game that there was a good shot they would get into the playoffs, win or lose, and kind of played that way. 
Glenn played like they had to win to get in. And it just, there was an urgency on the Glenn side. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, like, and there really wasn't on the East side. Now, I don't know if those East kids knew that they had a good shot of getting in, uh, even with the loss, but these kids talk. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they talk. They all talk to each other. So uh, they may have known. I doubt that Coach Willard and his staff told them that because that would just defeat them. No, no, no. They wanted no the way. conference title. No way. Yeah. So, no way uh, Willard told them that. Yeah. Now, there was something <laughs> else, too, with East. Uh, and it was funny because, uh, we're friends with Coach Willard's wife, who comes in to uh, to watch us do uh, the Nest on Tuesday nights with Coach Willard, and uh, she called up to the booth and told uh, <laughs> told them to tell us to, to take it easier on East because we were coming down pretty hard on them the way they were playing uh, in the first quarter, and then you have that weather delay. So you see the Glen kids; they all go off to like three or four buses in the parking lot, and they're sitting on those buses for. What you say? How long? Forever. Two and a half hours. Two, the, the, the delay was two hours and thirty-seven minutes. So they were on the bus over two hours. Yeah, nowhere to go. Just sitting there. We're sitting there counting thunder and lightning strikes and whatnot <laughs> from the booth the whole time. And uh, I'm thinking to Rod, I'm telling him, hey, this might have been what East Forsyth needed to reset, no. kind of you know get going or whatnot. Absolutely false. <laughs> as soon as Glenn got off that bus, it was like the game never stopped. It, it was just I was really impressed with what Glenn did on Friday night uh, and they deserve to win the CPC. They, they, they did what they had to do. They, I mean, you don't get an opportunity to play East twice and, and sweep them in any given year. So I, I don't know if, I don't know if all of you, if the two other two of you saw all six teams within the Central month, but I finally got to on Friday, I got to see Glenn and East who, who I had not seen all season. And uh, after seeing them, I think Glenn is the best team in the conference. So, and, and if I had to rate him, I'd go Glenn one and then Davey two. And then it's kind of it's pretty close between West and East for that third spot. But if I had to say it, Glenn was to me the clear number one, and it turned out to be that was the case. You know, for me, it's kind of muddled. I, I I could see why you would go, uh, you know, Davey two. Uh, even with Glenn, I think they had some injuries on defense or something because they had a little bit there where they were allowing a whole lot of points to teams that they probably, like Reynolds, I think they gave up a lot of points to Reynolds. Uh, the Davy game was a shootout back and forth over like a three-day period, right? So well, they, <laughs> you know. they, dealt, they kind of dealt with, uh, you know, East really dealt with it with all the early graduations this year and, and not having to play in the fall. So and yeah. everybody kind of had to deal with it. And I think Glenn just kind of dealt with it a little better. I mean, I, no, that's not a that's not a knock against any of the teams. It's just it's been tough on all these teams that have lost all these players. That and Glenn and East and West and you know Davy to a certain extent are are elite teams and you know they, some teams just handle it better than others. And I think Glenn probably just handled it better, especially midway through the season. And and then beating East for like twice this year after yeah. struggling with them for so long. I mean, that's got to be a huge boost. To that we're, program, we're going to have so, uh, Coach Stevenson on uh, franchise players Friday. He'll uh, be on to for us to interview him ahead of their matchup versus uh, Butler out of Matthews in their first round match. Go ahead. So, JP. so let me be the uh, the apologist here. Let me go ahead and, and people can drag me on Twitter um, if they want. But if we play this season in the fall, are we all agreed that East Forsyth is the cl- is 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 the team to beat? Yes, this Probably. upcoming this upcoming fall. You mean? Because, no, 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 I'm talking about fall. last no. fall. Oh, this, oh last God, fall. yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, like, actually, it's, I, I would say East close. would be the. I would say no. I, I'd say mm. East would be the favorite. Glenn, Glenn would have been really, really, really yeah. good. They lost some top-notch players, and I think they would have been the two best teams had they played in the fall. And I think either yeah. one, if either one of them would have had a chance at the state championship had they played in the fall. I, yeah, I, I think West would have been a notch below them, probably. 
Glenn, Glenn would have had probably the best defense in the state, except for maybe Vance. Like they, Glenn had guys like Rara Dilworth uh, that decided to leave early, just like East did. That are playing for Mac Brown right now. That left early, you know, like uh, Javari Ritzy. Like they, they yeah. had guys that would have gone along with the guys they still have, like Albert Red. And well, you guys yeah, saw, that, that you guys defense saw, would have been nasty. <laughs> you guys saw it Friday night. I mean, East was uh, Todd Willard about all those guys who had left early, you know, and put them on the sideline. They were in, they were in a different uniform, but they were in, yeah. they were in, in their jerseys Friday night. It had to have been fifteen or twenty guys that were that would have played in the fall that you know, were on the sideline in, in jerseys on Friday night. Oh that's yeah, what I was, that's what I was getting to. And and they lost. Basically, he had to go as when when all the when the season got moved to the spring, Willard. And his staff had to teach a lot of sophomores how to play football all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And so they, they did have, they lost, I believe, 17 guys, seven or it was either five or seven of whom were playing Division One football. Right. That being said, they had played some great football the last three weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they did. Including going into Davie County and only allowing, um, 14 points and no touchdowns from from Tate Carney. So they were on a roll. Now, I say all that to say that um, I was privy to the postgame huddle um, on the field. I'm not going to I'm not going to relate any state secrets or anything like that. But Mm. suffice to say, the moment was there for East Forsyth to, despite everything, have a storybook ending and win the conference. But the kids were, the moment was too big for them. Right. And, and the staff knew it. And there were some things, there were some things that they did, little things that I just, I thought this whole area, we're so blessed to have so many great coaches um, who know how to get at their kids. And one thing that the East Forsyth coaches did um, was make, they made them watch Glenn celebrate on the field. Mm. On their field. Yeah. You know, like on, on at the nest, like on their home field, because that hadn't happened in a yeah. very long time. And uh, that and, you know, you hit something there when we were talking to Coach Willard at the beginning of the season. He had some concerns in terms of, you know, obviously he lost uh, talent. He, he was more concerned about having to rebuild because they had spent the past three years building this up to where it was supposed to be. Like last year when me and Rod were doing their stuff, you know, the coaches, they weren't expecting to win a state title last year. They had so many injuries last year. The top guys like Amani Marshall, who's now at Wake Forest, uh, lineman, uh, secondary guy. I mean, like they they were missing a lot of guys and just kept plugging in guys. And um, they were looking at this fall, this past fall, 2020, as the year to win the state championship. Because those kids that were sophomores in 2018 that went undefeated were now seniors. So, like, they had been building up to this point. They were expecting to run through this entire area this year with the kids they had. I mean, you've got state champion offensive MVPs, like two-time MVPs, like back on the team. The defense was going to be stout. And it just didn't work out that way. And you were right, uh, JP. They had, I think uh, Coach said they had six D1 kids, Ty Lyles, Jameson Warren, uh, that moved on. Uh, Amani Marshall graduated. So, I mean, they didn't have that, but he basically told us they're basically playing with their JV team. You know, that the kids that are out there right now, Jalen Rayner, uh, Damon Stokes, those guys, they're sophomores. Like, literally, they're playing with the team that they thought they were going to be playing JV, and they got thrust into big time in the CPC. And I think the speed of the game in the beginning, especially, was just too fast for these kids. Having said that, though, 
it's going to help uh, them in the fall. This is going to this absolutely. whole spring season is going to help them in the fall. So I, th- I think I think uh, you know, it, when you get right down to it, I think Glenn punched them in the mouth, and they just never mm-hmm. really responded to it after that. And it, it you know they kind of they played a little better toward after a little better after they came back from the delay, and then Glenn came right back and just took over and just, just dominated the second half. It just it was kind of a non-competitive game for the most part. Yeah. What was frustrating um, to the coaching staff was that nothing – Glenn had a great plan on both sides of the ball. First of all, Coach Stevenson had a great game plan. But it wasn't a surprise to the East Forsyth defenders, for instance, that there were going to be a lot of slants. And mm-hmm. they kept on get, they kept getting beat on slants over and over and over again. So I think that was the frustrating part. Um for for the East coaches and the players, and I, I think what they were also concerned with with the fact that they are almost that some of the kids looked at the East players because East had a little bit more experience, um, a little bit more maturity and, and poise, and it was almost like they were looking up to the Glenn players, and mm. that's not really a signature. Uh, for the yeah. East Forsyth players, <laughs> yeah, that's that's but, a stark difference from the past couple of years for sure. But uh, you know, I, and I, I really want to make sure that that the appropriate credit is given to Glenn. Glenn, absolutely, went through, yes, went, yes. Through, went through COVID just like everybody else. Um, their their quarterback looks way different. I was at the Reagan game and where he did not play very well. The offense for, for the Bobcats didn't play well as a whole, and. You know, they went, I think Jay told me, we talked about this Friday, they started playing to the strengths, and I I thought that Coach Stevenson um, really did a good job maneuvering his team into the position they are now. Yeah, they didn't have uh, uh, their their main running back Friday night either, uh, Lyrely. Lyrely? Yeah. I can't remember. Lyrely. Yeah, Lyrely. Lyrely. They didn't have him, and we were really, really impressed with him the uh, week one um, when they played East over at Glenn Stadium. Uh, so they didn't have him, and we noticed that uh, Camden Coleman, the quarterback for Glenn, they were kind of opening it up a little bit for him to throw it more than mm-hmm. I expected them to. And, uh, you know, Glenn's wide receivers were up to the task. They, they just I, you know, played I, really well. I saw, like I said, I've seen every quarterback in the league, and I would have to say Coleman's probably the second best quarterback in the league behind uh, Caden Davis and Reynolds. Caden Davis, to me, is the best quarterback in the county by by far. And so I'd have to say Coleman's probably number two. I'd put Summers from Davey uh, at three. Um, He impressed me, too, considering what he was coming in behind. Uh, Been there for, you know, three-year, four-year starter or whatnot. Uh, Davey's offense always – Impressed me, but yeah, Glenn Glenn made a statement on Friday night. That was the most points East Forsyth's defense has given up all year. Um, and, and, and they, they did started it with the ease. game with two takeaways. Yeah. Let's yeah. not forget yeah. that. I mean, they, they East Forsyth had its chances. They sure they did. Capitalize. So, yeah, sure I believe uh, I, I, now East and Glenn are both in the state playoffs in the 4A, and they could see each other unprecedented third time uh, in the regional finals if both make it that far. But both have tough. Uh, Tough contest, <laughs> yeah. They got tough contests coming up. We're going to talk about it a little bit later on in the show. I'm going to bring JP and Jay back on. Uh, the brackets were released late Saturday evening due to that weather delay. A lot of games didn't get finished until Saturday morning. The state pushed back when they were going to release these. Um, we're going to go through all the local teams from the triad that are playing on Friday night. We're going to go through those uh, matchups. We're going to pick out the ones that we like uh, the most. Teams that we think can probably get to a state championship this season, <clears throat> Reedsville probably. And the first round matchups you're looking forward to the most. Uh, but before that, from Sports Illustrated, Panthers beat writer Skylar Callahan will join me to talk about the Panthers, Sam Darnold, and the draft. You're listening to Franchise Players on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.
Welcome back to Franchise Players. I'm your host, Dustin Johnson. Didn't get a chance to really talk about uh, NFL or Carolina Panthers news last week with us being off on spring break, uh, but I brought in good friend of the program, Skylar Callahan, beat writer for Sports Illustrated for the Carolina Panthers to talk about some of the stuff that's been going on uh, with the Panthers. Skylar, what's up, man? How's it going, man? It's glad to be all back on the show. Well, first, I wanted to I wanted to know your initial thoughts on the trade for former Jets quarterback Sam Darnold. Uh, the Panthers giving up, a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, what was it, a six-round pick this year and a second and a fourth next year uh, for Darnold. But it kind of looks like it's going to basically end up being like a second-round pick next year that they gave up for, for Darnold. Is this a good or bad deal for the Panthers and why? Yeah, I think from the outside looking in, I think a lot of people are kind of – quick to overreact to, to deals like this. And anytime you attach multiple picks um, to a player that's maybe not proven, there's going to be some some uncertainty and there's going to be a lot of people questioning the decision. But the way I look at it is, is basically how you said it. You know, the six-round pick was a comp, uh, comp, uh, a comp pick anyway, so you're really not losing much there. The fourth rounder is what it is. The second rounder is really what you're giving up. And if, if Sam Darnold comes in and really lights it up or just really thrives under Matt Rule and Joe Brady, this is a heck of a bargain. I mean, you're looking, you know, if he can turn around and get this team to the playoff within the next, you know, two or three years, then you're going to look back at this deal and say, man, the Panthers absolutely won this trade. And the way I look at it, you know, they had to make a move at quarterback. They know Teddy Bridgewater wasn't going to be the guy. They can't turn back on him now after he's like the fifth or sixth option this offseason for him. So, you had to make a move. They felt like they were in a position where they can't get a top quarterback in the draft, and the guys that could be there at number eight, they really didn't fall in love with. So they like Sam Darnold, and you know when you when you look at the guys that are coming into this draft, you know you look at Trey Lance, you look at Mac Jones, some of those guys that could be there, they're even more unproven than what Sam Darnold is. At least he's got stuff on tape. They ha- they know what they're working with, and they believe in him. So. You know, at, in the end of it all, I don't really think they gave up too much for him. I think the price, the asking price was just about right. I would have said maybe a third round instead of a second round, but uh, I definitely don't think they gave up too much for him. They, uh, you know, I was actually surprised because we had been talking about uh, the Panthers maybe making a move for Sam Darnold for weeks, and then they actually pulled the trigger. Yep. And then come to find out, they'd actually been talking to the Jets for weeks before it actually went down uh, to make this happen. Um, I, I kind of. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about it yet. You know, like I, I kind of wanted it before, and, and I do see the the obvious points. You know, Sam Darnold's 25, uh, horrific franchise at uh, the Jets, so he never really got a chance to <laughs> show what he could truly do. I do like the idea that he's comfortable with Robbie Anderson. They had uh, you know a year together uh, up in NY. Uh, so you know, it, it remains to be seen uh, how this is going to turn out. But because of it, the Panthers don't seem to be as locked in for a quarterback in the first round now that Darnold's on board. Although general manager Scott Fitterer did not rule out picking a quarterback with the pick if there was one on the board. Uh, Skyler, out of all the quarterbacks that may be left at number eight, and you just ran through some of them, basically everyone not named Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Who's the one quarterback that if he's sitting there at eight, Carolina's got to pick him? Well, I, I, he would never fall this far, but I love Zach Wilson. Um, but So we'll just kind of move past him, too. So I would probably say Justin Fields. I mean, I don't know how this guy is sliding down people's draft boards. Um, everything that he has put on tape has been phenomenal. 
And the, I, I don't know why people just assume that because he's from Ohio State that he's going to follow the same, you know, NFL success that or lack of success that Cardell Jones and some of those other guys that came out of Ohio State have had. It's not the same. They've had different coaches, different playmakers around them. They have different skills, different assets. Just because a guy came from a school, you can't just pass him pass up on him. Because I'll tell you this, there's been a lot of big time quarterbacks that have come out of you know Michigan and, and Alabama and Texas, but they've also had some you know really good quarterbacks that come out as, of there as well. So you can't just pass them up for that. Uh, but quickly back onto the Darnold thing, I think for Sam Darnold, this is the best possible situation for him. He's got weapons now, which he had no weapons really at all outside of a you know an old aging Frank Gore. And now he's got, you know, really good coaching, which is is ev- what everybody's talking about. You know, Adam Gase was a terrible, terrible coach. He's coming to a place that likes to develop players. Matt Rule, Joe Brady from the college level, or they have to develop players. So I think that's going to be fitting perfect for him. As for the Panthers, I think it's to be determined. You know, we don't know is he going to be a long-term answer or not. But it's not worth – it's not that, that big of a gamble, I would say, to just throw out a second-round pick for him. But – you know, if Justin Fields is on the board, it's going to be making things all very, very interesting. And I think the Panthers would almost hope that he's still on the board because then that's going to trigger teams like New England, Washington, maybe Minnesota, or some of those other teams later in the first round to want to trade up. And Carolina can trade out of that pick, get some extra picks in return. You know, yeah, that's actually an interesting case there because I'm actually kind of leaning that route. You know, why yes. not get two late first round picks by trading out of this eighth slot? And, you know, helping out in the secondary linebacker. We need to be the linebacker. Well, we don't really need a middle linebacker now, but linebacker depth, uh, the offensive line still needs some help. So, yeah, I could see them potentially doing that for sure. Although I would be a bit intrigued if Justin Fields is sitting there at eight to just to kind of create competition, which this yeah. new regime seems to be so high on uh, in-house to have competition. What better way to, to spark and see what Sam Darnold has than to have Justin Fields behind him every day in practice and, you know, say it works out and Darnold, rises to the challenge, you you can re-up him and do whatever you want to with Justin Fields. Or if it doesn't work out, you've got Justin Fields in your back pocket. So, yeah, I could easily see if Fields is, is still sitting there at eight, which I think he might be the quarterback that ends up dropping for some reason. Uh, he might be sitting there uh, for Carolina to make a decision. Now, outside of a quarterback falling to number eight, the Panthers do have options. Uh, Skylar, you did talk about those options in an article on SI.com last week, which I suggest everyone go and check out. One of those being fixing the offensive line. Uh, right tackle Taylor Moten received a franchise tag, and the Panthers are working on a long-term deal for him over the next couple of months. It, it does appear that two tackles have separated themselves from the pack, being Oregon's Panay Sewell and Northwestern's Rashawn Slater. If you could choose between the two, say they were both sitting there on the board at number eight, which would be the better fit for Carolina? Yeah, I think this would be a little bit unpopular of a pick uh, because he's not the more the, the the most polished between the two. But I would go Panay Sewell. I think right now Slater is probably more NFL ready, more plug and play type of guy. Where I think Panay Sewell is, he's going to have some some learning curves and it, it may be rough at times. Uh, but I think in the long end, you know, or in the long run, Panay Sewell is going to be an absolute stud, and I think he's going to be the best offensive tackle in this draft. No. You know, that's no slight to Rashawn Slater because I think he's got a bright future as well. But Panay Sewell just has a lot of gifted ability, um, really good pass protector, does well in run and run blocking as well. And he just he's just got the look of a, a franchise left tackle that is going to be hard to pass up on, which again, if you got Panay Sewell and you've got 
Justin Fields both sitting there at number eight. Then it's, you know, do you take one of them or do you trade out? I mean, there's so many options for Scott Fitter where he's got uh, only 10 minutes to make a decision. So that's one of those things where you, you kind of wish you, you had 15, 20, 30 more minutes because this is a very tough draft, I think, really for Carolina because they can go so many different routes where usually teams in the top 10, they kind of know, you know, general on the idea of where they need to go, what holes they need to fill. If, if this guy falls to him, we're absolutely taking him. But then you could also throw in a curveball and go, you know, Kyle Pitts at tight end. You know, they have to have an upgrade at tight end. Um, so, I mean, they, they have so many options. But, again, back to, to the original question, I love Panay Sewell. I have from the very beginning. And I, I think he, if he does get to number eight, it's going to be hard for Carolina to pass him up. But I'm hoping he stays on the board because it would be interesting to see what he looks like in Carolina. I just don't know if Cincinnati will – take a take a chance on passing them up go right now to twitter and pound that uh follow button for skylar callahan you can find him at callahan underscore uh panthers beat writer for sports illustrated here with us on franchise players um panthers after losing curtis samuel to the washington football team in free agency the could the panthers elect to take an offensive weapon with the number eight selection we haven't really heard a lot about it other than uh florida tight end kyle pitts who's rumored to be at the top of the Panthers draft board, but will probably be gone by the time they get to the eighth selection. Would you use the number eight pick on an offensive piece like Pitts or one of these wide receivers that are going to be out there like Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith? Or should the Panthers, like you mentioned before, seriously consider trading down and get another one later on in the round if, that, if it gets to that point? Yeah, I think if Kyle Pitts is there, I think you absolutely take him. I, I don't know. If there's a more gifted, more natural talent at tight end than Kyle Pitts, and if you watch what he did at Florida, he's not just a, a guy that lines up with his hand in the dirt. He can split out wide. He can line up in the slot. He is so versatile, and and I really think he he could be the best all around player in this draft. Um, so yeah, he's if he's there, Carolina has to take him. And I get tight end is not you know a pressing need as maybe an offensive tackle or, you know, a shutdown quarter like Patrick Sertan. But I love Kyle Pitts. I love Jamar Chase. I think he's number wide receiver number one in this class. If he's on the board, you got to consider him. Uh, but to me, if it comes down to Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, I'm going Kyle Pitts. And I think if if both of those guys are if, – if it's just Jamar Chase on the board and you got a couple offensive linemen – then I think you kind of lean towards the offensive line and get your receiver later in the draft. Even though Jamar Chase is a heck of a talent, I think Kyle Pitts brings a little bit of something that Carolina really doesn't have right now uh, at that tight end spot. So it's either Pitts or an offensive lineman, maybe a corner for me at number eight, but I don't know if I'd go as far as drafting Jamar Chase as, as, as much as I love him. I'm kind of scared to draft a wide receiver first round. I know DJ Moore <laughs> was a first round selection, but for the most part, if doesn't it feel like the teams that make it like to the Super Bowl, for the most part, don't have that that first round, you know, $80 million wide receiver that it's really yeah. more of a wide receiver by committee type thing. And uh, I, I, this is a deep draft for wide receivers, just like it was last year. And I feel like they could, Curtis Samuel was a second round pick himself. I feel like they could replace the production of Samuel in later rounds, like you mentioned. But again, Kyle Pitts seems to be a bit of a different type of monster. If he's still sitting there at eight, then yeah, I think you got to go get him. But I honestly, I don't think he's going to get past Atlanta at four. It, it looks like that's probably yeah. where he's going to end up there. If not there, then Miami at six would be a good place for him there too. Give Tua a weapon. Um, so I'm not sure if he's going to fall all the way to eight. 
uh, barring some weird story that comes out the week of the draft or <laughs> something along those lines that would drop him down. Um, but yeah, I agree. He, he seems like a monster, but um, I'm not, I'm not so against the Panthers trading down either. Now that they've got Darnold in the fold, uh, they have been busy in free agency though. So each, each, uh, you know, every couple of days, my mind shifts because of moves that they've made, basically building depth across the board. Last week, they signed cornerback AJ Boye, who was a former pro bowler, uh, is there a cornerback you would like to see on the board at number eight for Carolina? Or do you think the Panthers are set with Boy and Dante Jackson as starting quarterbacks? I definitely think they need to take a strong look, uh, both at Patrick Sertan out of Alabama and Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. And if it's at number eight, then you're looking more at Sertan, who's probably going to be on the board more than likely. Um, if it comes down to where it's a trade situation and, tr- and Carolina trades back into, say, the middle of the first round, that's an ideal spot for Caleb Foley to go. You're not reaching for him at eight, and you're not really, you know, taking him, you know, too late in the draft where he may be gone. So I think those are your two options there. There are a couple of guys later in the draft, in the in maybe day two, that could help out. The, I would say the cornerback spot in this draft, I would, you know, between rounds four and seven, isn't as strong as it has been in the, in the last couple of years. So I think it's really a top-heavy classic corner. Patrick Sertan at eight if he's there. And then if you trade, we'll say New England at 15, uh, which I had in my mock draft, you take Caleb Farley. I think he's a tremendous player. Now, it has become apparent with all these moves that uh, current Panther quarterback Teddy Bridgewater is not in the plans for the 2021 Carolina Panthers after the trade with the Jets for Sam Darnold. Um, Scott Fitter saying all the right things, but if you read through everything, it's pretty much yeah, we're looking to get Teddy out of here at this point. Where, uh, yeah. where are some of the likely landing spots for Bridgewater in your mind? There's a, there's really honestly a lot of places that come to mind. Um, you got Denver, who doesn't know what they want to do with Drew Locke. They don't know if he's a franchise guy or not. They kind of, in my mind, they've been very bad at, at hiding the fact that they know he's not the guy, uh, but they just keep trying to put him in those situations where they think that he could be the guy. Um, you look at maybe heck even New York with the Jets. You know you got Zach Wilson probably going to be coming in there. You're going to have to have a veteran guy to mentor him along. Really, Jacksonville, Washington. I mean, any of these spots or where teams maybe taking a rookie quarterback, you're going to have to look at a Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe if it's not one of those situations, maybe it's you know Tampa Bay, you know Pittsburgh, Green Bay, somewhere where he can go and be a solid number two quarterback on a contending team. Um, I don't know if if that's where Teddy wants to go. Now he can only, you know, he's able to talk to some teams, but he's only going to be able to facilitate so much. And I just don't know how big the market really is for him. And there's been one team that I really think could use his help, and that's Chicago. I'm not sold on Andy Dalton. I don't think anybody is at this point. And I, I think they they have some pieces, especially defensively. They have a really good running back, David Montgomery. If they get a quarterback that can just, you know, kind of manage the game and not really lose them too many oper- or too many games, then I think they have a chance to compete in that division. Teddy Bridgewater could give them that that little bit of a push. I just don't know, you know, if they're really willing to go out and do that after they sign Andy Dalton, but he has had success in that division before. There you have it. Skylar Callahan from Sports Illustrated here checking in for us for the Carolina Panthers. We appreciate you stopping by so much, sir. And we will talk to you definitely before uh, the draft, which is actually here coming up here what, in like two weeks, if I'm not mistaken, here in April, yes. uh, late April. So, yeah, we uh, definitely will have you back on again as we get closer to it. I'm sure there's going to be some movement uh, with Carolina. Uh, maybe they trade that pick. Maybe they uh, 
do something crazy with it. Who knows with this uh, this group of characters we got in Charlotte right now. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, man. No problem. Thank you. Have a good one. Coming up, J.P. Mundy and Jace Bobby rejoin me as we go through the brackets here in North Carolina. High school football kicking off this Friday. and We are your home for high school football coverage next on Franchise Players. Welcome back to Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Bringing back in my panel, J.P. Mundy and Jay Spivey, talking high school football. The state football playoffs here in North Carolina begin this Friday, and we are your hub for coverage for it. Uh, later on this week, uh, a bit of a high school huddle reunion. Myself, Dave Pulaski, and uh, Joe Serrera from the Greensboro News and Record will get together and do what we used to do back in the day uh, in terms of looking at some of these matchups ourselves. Um, Antoine Stevenson, the coach for Glenn, he's scheduled to be on with us on Friday. We've got Titans Talk with head coach Adrian Snow from West Forsyth. That's uh, tonight at 7.30. The Nest with head coach Todd Willard from East Forsyth is Tuesday at 7.30. So if you're want to, if you immersed into high school football in North Carolina, we are your spot here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Um, guys, the, the North Carolina High School Athletic Association released the brackets for the eight subdivisions on Saturday evening. For people that do not know, this is the last year that they're going to have subdivisions. After this spring season is over with, when we get to the fall 2021, we go back to the old school hard four divisions. That's it. So everyone's going to be grouped back together again. Um, local games of note. I'll just run through here. I'll run through these and then we'll go through some of uh, these matchups. In four double A, the only local team that made it four double A was Northwest Guilford as a seven seed. They're going to be taking on uh, two seed Myers Park. Uh, in four A, of course, we talked about this earlier in the in the, uh, the show. The three-seed Glenn will be hosting six-seed Butler. That game will be broadcast here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Uh, the one-seed in the West, Grimsley, is hosting the eighth-seed in East Forsyth uh, in Greensboro over at uh, Jameson Stadium. That game will be broadcasted on Tobacco Road as well. Uh, those are <laughs> two very interesting matchups that we'll get to here in just a second. Uh, in three A, actually a couple of different things going on over there. The one-seed Wataga is going to be taking on eight seed Dudley, who might be the the, the most dangerous eight seed I've ever seen <laughs> with the Dudley Panthers having to go up the mountain to take on Wataga. Uh, that should be a really good matchup. Um, Weddington's in there, Mount Tabor's in there, but I thought it was very interesting the way they set this bracket up because the potential second round matchup, if both win, would be Weddington versus Mount Tabor, who many people think are the two best teams in three AA uh, this season. Uh, the second seed is Southeast Guilford. They're taking on seven seed Clayton. In 3A, the three seed is Havelock. They're taking on six seed Southern Guilford. In 2AA, the one seed is North Davidson. They're taking on the eighth seed Pisca. And Ash County is a four seed. They'll be hosting the five seed Oak Grove. Uh, in 2A, number four, the, the four seed in the West Shelby will be hosting number five Walkertown. The number one seed in the east is Reedsville. They're taking on eight seed Southwest Onslow. And then in 1A, you've got the two seed Robbinsville taking on seven seed Winston-Salem Prep. Um, any issues with any teams that were left out of the playoffs, guys? Or are you pretty content with how uh, these things kind of made their, you know, how they ended up? 
Well, with the rules this year, I have no problems whatsoever with teams that are left out. I just have problems. I have problems every year in every sport with the way they do seating. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And they've done, they do it every year and they keep saying they're going to fix it and they say they're going to tweak it. And yeah, you know, sometimes common sense needs to step in here. I yeah. don't mean anything negative at all against Watauga, but you cannot tell me they're better than than either Mount Tabor or Weddington. Dude, yeah, there's was, just no way. I was there's trying to figure no that way. out. Like, why is Watauga the one seed in the West in 3AA? They, they just do it. Yeah, they were all undefeated, and they just lump, lump them all in a group. Them, and I guess, pull them I guess, out of a hat? <laughs> is that literally? <laughs> just, I mean, they could prove me wrong, and they prove me wrong. I'll fully admit it. But you, there's no way you can tell me Watauga's better than either Mount Tabor or Weddington. That and was it's, ridi- first- it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that if it comes comes out this way they have to play each other in the second round it's ridiculous yeah because we'll and but we'll have that game if uh if they do make it of course we're going to do that uh weddington mount Tabor. that may be the biggest game of the year <laughs> you know and they're going to meet in the second round of the three double playoffs. yeah i just i saw it. that was the first thing that stood out i was like wow how good is Wataga? why are they the one seed when i've seen weddington and mount Tabor at the top of the three a polls the entire year and they're both undefeated if i'm not mistaken so uh yeah that stood out uh, if I'm not mistaken, I thought I saw Dudley put out a tweet that this was like their highest offensive output like in a long time or something. And I just thought that was strange because they played seven games. Um, they're an eight seed, and I I need to go back and look at their record, but I, I think they're I think they've only lost like one game themselves. So they only lost to Mount Tabor. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So you know, it's crazy that I think Dudley's going to beat Wataga. <laughs> like I, I really feel pretty confident knowing they're going on the road, but I think they've got more speed. I think they're going to end up beating them uh, in that, in that matchup. JP, was there any issues with any team that was out there? that got left out of the playoffs with you. I, I don't have any problems like Jay about, you know, everybody knew the rules, so nobody should have been surprised. I just, I, I agree with Jay in that let's take a, take a good look at your original seedings and know it doesn't make sense um, that Watauga is over both Weddington and Mount Tabor. Now, I'm sorry, I haven't seen Watauga play. Um, so, you know, maybe they are, maybe they are, I don't know, but it, it would be nice in a perfect world to have, to avoid this, this situation where the second round matchup might be a lot more compelling than the regional final. Yeah, and that's what's yeah. going to happen here. <laughs> I mean, like, literally. What, but that's not what anybody wants to see. I mean, it's just like, you know, like in the NCAA basketball tournament. I mean, you can see where teams are going to match up in the second round. They have no business playing each other in the second round. They should yep. be playing each other in the third round of the regional final. It's just, it's just no reason for it. And, so and, common and, sense needs to step in at some point. And for some unknown reason, whoever's on the panel of doing any, any sports, whether it be football, basketball, golf, tennis, whatever, I mean, common sense needs to step in here and say, this doesn't make any sense. What well, we're having probably the two best teams in the state play each other in the second round. Yeah, and, and I think normally, correct me if I'm wrong, but max preps rankings are usually what, are, what determines they, these seedings. But they didn't use them this year. year. Yeah, they, they didn't did use them because use them of with the, the condensed playoff uh, scenario and everything else. They did not use those. And I actually had printed out, uh, I had gotten some from the NCHSAA uh, about how they did this that was on their site, but that didn't really make a whole lot of sense either when it came to seating. So um, out of those, go go ahead, JP. Well, the other thing I was going to mention was the fact that they made Northwest Guilford a seven seed to play Myers Park. Yeah. um, The the two seed. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but Northwest's only loss is to Grimsley, right? I believe so. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is Northwest. 
best season in a few years. And, you know, the fact that they were on the at-large bubble, that's the mm-hmm. only thing. I mean, that's one of the things that gives me gets me a little queasy about the whole selection and seeding process that, you know, well, Kevin Wallace finally gets a chance to wave his flag in front of his detractors and say, hey, look, we actually can coach. You know, well, this is for this is for everybody. I mean, yeah, if you don't win the conference, you kind of left up to who's left in the state in terms of who's who's the lock cars, and it just kind of fell that way. I mean, I, I don't mean is, this is Northwest Gilver or East Forsyth or whomever. I mean, because obviously East Forsyth was close to the close to getting cut themselves, right? So, I mean, they, you're just kind of left up to the mercy with this format. I mean, I don't really have a problem with using uh, uh, conference per. Um, uh, winning percentages, especially this year with as many games that were lost because of COVID. Uh, but I don't know if this is the way if, – if, if assuming things are back to normal in the fall, I don't know this is the way to go as far as that goes. I, I mean, you need to use some sort of a uh, a meshing of, you know, common sense and um, max preps. If you're going to use max preps as, as kind of your partner, then go ahead and use them to help you see these teams, which sometimes I wonder whether they use them or not. Who's the one team you would bet money on from the Triad to win a state title this season? Or is there one? Reed, Reedsville. Well, that's not a bad, I, that's not a bad you, bet. You know that, you know, yeah, that's not a bad one to go with. That's, that's not a bad bet at all. Yeah. <laughs> Reedsville. J- uh, JP, deals, JP deals with those teams a lot more than I do. So Reedsville is the one. But in terms of, like, you know, the teams that I usually deal with, I think really the only thing that has a legitimate chance around, and, you know, for Side County West is probably Mount Tabor. Yeah, I and, don't have and, a problem with that either. And they, they just got to get past Weddington. They get past Weddington, that second round matchup. It's yeah. pretty clear for them, I think. Um, I'm kind of, honestly, looking at 4A, it's so it's really wide open. But really, I think this year, Glenn and Grimsley on, in the Western side, like Glenn's got the defense. I was really impressed with Grimsley's offense when they came to Kernsville a couple of weeks ago, uh, considering what they were last year. They basically rode the back of uh, Quanora. Literally, they didn't really pass it a lot. It was a whole lot of handoff to the left, handoff to the right, and he would just go straight up the middle. And a lot of times it'd be for 80 yards. <laughs> you know, like you just work with what works for you. With him gone, they opened up the playbook a little bit. And I know they got a new quarterback. They've got a new running back. They've got a lot of new pieces over there. But I really like what Coach Brown is building uh, at Grimsley. And they're, they're slowly building a program that can compete with these other schools that have been competing for decades in this, well, a decade in this area, like East Forsyth, West Forsyth, um, Reedsville, um, and, 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 and the like. So I, I'm looking at those and then I kind of come down to like scrolling through these matchups that, that three double a is going to be really interesting because that Western side, you've got Dudley over there. You've got Weddington, you've got Mount Tabor, any of those three, although you can't really count Weddington to try a team, but Dudley or Mount Tabor in particular, I think, could get to the state championship and actually win it uh, this season. Um, looking around in terms of uh, the team that you think could put together a surprise run this year, who out of those area teams that I had noted before, uh, is there an area team that you think might be able to uh, make a surprise run, with uh, starting with you, JP? Oh, that's a tough question. <sighs> You know, this is the time of year where you find out how good your coaching, your head coaches and their coaching staff is. And I don't mean to sound cliche about it, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, normally 
how do I say this without offending? I just won't say it. Um, <laughs> not, <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> what were you going to say? Got a, you've, got a, you've got a few coaching staffs out there that have been together mostly for the past anywhere from five to ten years. You know what I'm saying? Correct. Yeah. So, and I and I and I think when you when you get to playoff time and you get maybe a, a coach a coaching staff that hasn't been there before and maybe newer and maybe not as close as some of these guys are, that's when your upsets can happen. And um, it shows, I thought, in my opinion, it showed last year in the East Forsyth Grimsley regional final. Mm -hmm. I think it showed in both games, actually, that they played, but especially in the final. Um, And I think, you know, I don't know how good Durham Hillside is as the five seed, but if Grimsley screws up against East Forsyth and beats and gets beat, there's a chance that East could make it to the final. I don't know that they could be they could win the whole thing, but that's the only surprise run I could see um, because it wouldn't surprise me, for instance, for either Weddington or Mount Tabor to make it uh, to the regional final. Dudley making it to the regional final, especially starting as an eight seed, they've got to be licking their chops there. Yeah, I would agree but, with that. Uh, but my sure thing is is always going to be it's always going to be Reedsville. <laughs> home no, of a fifty point game, no matter who it is, they're probably going to score fifty on them. Um, Jay, what, what's the uh, who is the one team you could that could put together a surprise run this year from the triad? JP mentioned East Forsyth with everything going on with them, them being an eight seed uh, in the West Regional, uh, but got a tough matchup <laughs> on the road versus Grimsley. It's definitely a tough match, and they, they know them so well. They played Grimsley so many times the last couple of years. They, they, they actually played them in the second game of the season this year. So yep. they know each other so well, and the coaches, from what I gather, are really good friends. Uh, I, I could see East winning. I mean, they, they can't play any worse than they did Friday night. So uh, you know Coach Willis going to have them ready with probably week. But I, I don't know that they can beat Grimsley, but I think they'll play a lot better than they did against Glenn. He already, he already spoke to Coach Willard Saturday night when the brackets came out. He texted me. He was like, yeah, we'll be ready. So, yeah. um, they, I, listen, they, I, I, I don't want to speak for the two of you, but you know, I have a feeling you guys probably agree with me on this. I have the utmost respect in Todd Willard and what he's done. What he's done at East Forsyth is remarkable, and he is by far one of the best coaches in the triad and probably one of the best coaches in the state. What he's done is simply remarkable at East Forsyth. Because oh, yeah. I was going to say, I was there for the downtime. All of time. disaster that was. <laughs> yeah. when he, what, oh, they were terrible. Just terrible. Were and yeah, what he's what he's turn, what he's been able to do and turn that program around is unbelievable. Guys, do you remember week one, East Forsyth? Do you, did you guys ever see that? I mean, Desmond, you saw it. That mm-hmm. first possession of the, of the season was the worst thing that I had ever seen. And it was, and, and I was like, how, what are they going to do? And yeah. gosh, they competed for a conference championship. It's it's amazing to me. I'm glad you brought that up because that week one, it was 18 to zero. They got shut out by Glenn on the road uh, that opening week. And it was a non-conference game because both the coaches wanted to do something special for Kernersville. Going back to segment one, when you were talking about how many division one kids would have been in that game. If they had played that game in the fall, I'm pre- I think Willard told me that they would have had like 14 division one kids either already committed or about to commit. In that game, it would have been the biggest game in Kernersville, basically in Kernersville history, mm-hmm. uh, that they would have had between Glenn and East Forsyth. And he was just so proud, him and Coach Stevenson, that they were going to, they potentially were going to be a part of something that would have been talked about statewide that wasn't a state championship game, that that game was going to have so much talent in it. It was going to be ridiculous. Having said that, 
I agree with you, uh, Jay, that what they have done at East this year uh, to be able to even get back in the playoffs with the team that they have is just nothing short of remarkable to oh, me. Yeah. Like they just I, literally we, fed we, the, the the funnel with with some kids. We, so we, we talked about it. I think you know if we kind of look back on the season. I think the thing that probably helped them the most is having that week off when they were supposed to play West Forsyth, when West Forsyth yeah. couldn't play because of COVID. I think Willard really changed a lot of things. I mean, he clearly changed a lot, and they became a totally different team after that week. He was able to tinker with some things and change some things. And I know, I know the Glenn game was sort of an outlier, but you know, the last three or four games they played were just—I mean—they were a totally different team from the first two games when they played Glenn and Grimsley. If you look at the games they played, East defense never really fell off. Other than the Glenn no. game, which was aberration, really, if you look at the rest of them, they were only allowing, like I think, like 16 or 17 points a game uh, throughout, throughout the whole season. So I think if East defense shows up on Friday, they have a really good shot to beat Grimsley. Uh, I do remember defensive coordinator Aaron Bill from East Forsyth telling me that he wanted another shot at that Grimsley offense and that his dream was that he would get to see Grimsley at Grimsley in the state playoffs this year so they could, you know, play them again. And lo and behold, they get them first round. So I'm not jinxing them or anything there that none of this is anything that they haven't already said on the nest or, or, you know, or anywhere. Really? I mean, having said, that, having said that, I think he's probably happier about playing Grimsley than he is playing at like a Charlotte school or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. At least it's a team. They've got film on. They've already played them once this year. I mean, they, it's they, a dream scenario. Now I don't know if I don't know if uh, if Grimsley wanted to see East again that early because uh, they caught him early on, and that's probably the best time to catch him, especially a young team like that. But uh, now they're having to see a team that knows them almost as well as a conference foe. So uh, that was the that's probably that's probably the first round matchup I'm looking forward to the most. Um, is there are there any other first round matchups you guys are looking forward to uh, besides the East for side Grimsley one? I, I really want to see. Um, what north what northwest does against Myers Park um it's been it's been and I think it just it bothers me a little bit that northwest seems to have uh flown under the radar but I'll be honest here it's very tough to be uh, a coach of any team at northwest because of its sports history and its tradition um they're used to winning over there um and that's going back to you know, even when I was a kid and, you know, and they don't like, they don't like coaching changes. Um, heck, there were people when I covered them a lot, they got mad at uh, coach Jared, then coach Jared Rolfus for, um, because he threw the ball to Trey Turner and Thomas Hennigan on every play. I mean, why uh, would you? No wonder they're the two <laughs> best players they uh, ever had. Yeah, like, why, why, why would I not? <laughs> so, and, 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 you know, there was a contingent because Kevin Wallace didn't come in and, and start, you know, and, and start winning right away. And, you know, he is, he's gone out there. He's lost one game, and it was to one of the best teams in the state. And he's running his offense finally. And I, I just want them to get their moment um, for the seniors on his team to get their moment and make their mark because I got to, you know, I, I hate to tell you folks, most, the bulk of their talent coming back in four months. See, and those are the teams I'm looking at. The teams that are going to be able to use this spring session as a springboard for the fall. Uh, teams like, yeah, North, that's exa- you know, I, I, I know coaches don't want to admit to this, but those who are not going to win it this year, 
whether they made the playoffs and don't really have a chance of winning or didn't make the playoffs and still had a relatively successful year. I just wonder how much this spring is going to help them in the fall because this is, in essence, a much hyped up, you know, kicked up you know, spring practice session compared to years past. And I think teams are going to be better off for it in the long run. Let me ask you guys this before we get out of here, then. With the way this season has been, you know, it got moved to the spring, players that should have played aren't there. Uh, some teams missed games due to COVID. Would you put an asterisk this season to any champion that no, won in any conference? Absolutely. No way. No. No. Okay, good. Because no. I, I feel the same no. way. And I like, hear people throw that around all the time with all these other sports. No. And I'm like, all the teams are going to play. Thing. If they're going to play, they got to go by the rules that are given to them. So, absolutely no. And no yeah. asterisk. If you're going to make a special notation, say, man, these guys got it done even during a pandemic. That's the only right. notation you can make. I mean, but I think th- the rules were were applied to everyone, and um, you know, some people may not like the rules, but that's what they were. We were able to. We're going to have they a get to play, and b get to have a, a champion decided. You know, I, I totally agree with that in terms of uh, there shouldn't be an asterisk due to it being you know a COVID related type season, other than the fact that it may have been harder to win a state championship this year due to the hurdles that were given because of COVID and all the obstacles in the way, not being able to have full houses to watch these kids play, which is a huge part of high school sports football in particular. Uh, You know, it was just different going to some of these places with no crowds. We were doing high point uh, Christian football. They actually played in the fall and played like a shortened season and they ended up missing two weeks due to COVID themselves. They had a six week season, only played like four games. And the first couple of games that we did, they weren't allowing anybody into they're over at high point athletic park. They weren't allowing anybody in there. Uh, by the time we got to the end of the year, they were allowing a hundred people in there, but just a hundred people spread out. It might as well be zero. Like the atmosphere is just so different with fans and a football game than it is, uh, you know, without them. I'm glad they're letting them back in. I'm glad people, it looks like for the most part are socially distancing, wearing masks at these games from what I've seen. Well, I, in high school I, 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 w- I will say that, I don't mean this toward the schools. This is really to more toward the communities. But having been to Davie County and Moxville on Thursday night and going to the game on Friday night, I saw a lot of people in the crowds not wearing masks, and that bothers me a lot. I hate I think- to make a political issue out of everything, but, I mean, if you, if you it's still a mandate until we're told otherwise and people need to be wearing masks. I mean, this is not going to get any better until we start doing the things that are told, told to us. I agree, and, and probably for them, and that probably shows, you know, just – them being outside you're, we're always going to have some people that disagree with wearing masks where they're supposed to i've got i've just gotten to that point i, I can't even really pester them with it anymore it's been over a year if they, they haven't gotten the point at this point they're probably not gonna um you know it's kind of up to the rest of us to to really kind of continue doing what we're doing it's not fair um you know it's not cool <laughs> but i mean we got to do what we got to do to get back to some sense of normalcy uh, especially going into the fall. We got to get out of here. Like I said, a loaded week this week. If you want to get high, high school football coverage here in the state of North Carolina, Tobacco Road Sports Radio is your spot for it. These guys will be back later on in the week. I'm Desmond Johnson. I uh, hope you have a great Monday afternoon. Make sure you tune back in for Titans Talk with head coach Adrian Snow from West Forsyth, live from Mossy's Eats, Ale, and Spirits in Clemens, 730 tonight on Tobacco Road. <laughs>